Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 8 is where we're going to be as a church family this morning. I'll say good morning to you. Great to be with you today. Uh, happy birthday to our country this weekend. Uh, happy Fourth of July to you and your family. Hope you have a great week planned. If you're a guest, I want to say welcome to you. Really honored that you would be with us anytime, but especially on this holiday weekend. Honored that you're here. Uh, as a church, we're walking verse by verse through this book of Hebrews. We're going to continue that this morning. And here's, our, here's what we're going to do this morning. Here's the plan, all right? We're going to cover an entire chapter of Hebrews this morning. You like, there's no way, Pastor Mike. We are. 13 verses, chapter 8. Uh, we're going to try to cover this whole chapter. And then we're going to have a time of elder conversation at the end after the message talk about some things that are really important in the life of our faith family here uh, it's a really great morning uh, to be together this morning as church Hebrews chapter 8 go ahead and find your place there so I want to kick off this way that the reality that throughout your Bible and throughout scripture there are various terms and different words that God has inspired to us in the pages of Scripture that help us understand the nature of our relationship with God. There are various terms throughout the Bible that help us understand what it means to be in Christ by faith and the nature of our relationship with God. Through Christ and Christ alone, like we just sang about. Let me give you a few examples of that. One word, for example, is, is the word redemption. We use that word a ton in the New Testament. Paul uses that word a ton. Redemption is basically, it's paying the price necessary to set us free from the slavery of sin. Redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That's shouting ground. We are a redeemed people. Another term, you find this a lot in the New Testament, a glorious reality, is this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation, you can define it this way. Uh, those who were enemies are now friends. Enemies, now friends. The idea that we were enemies of God because of our sin, but now we have been made, we're in a friendship, a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Another term that we come across a lot is this idea of adoption. Adoption is just a glorious reality of those who are in Christ. Adoption is, is the idea of not by natural birth, but by new birth in Christ. We are brought into all the blessings of the family of God. We have a family. It's a glorious idea of adoption. Ephesians 1.5, He predestined us to adoption unto Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will. So all over the Bible, there are these various terms and ideas and glorious concepts that help us understand the nature of our relationship with God through Christ. Now, when it comes to the people of Israel, particularly in the Old Testament, and 
redemptive history through God's people Israel, probably one concept, one term rises above all the other ones, and it's this idea of covenant. Covenant. People of Israel have always understood themselves to be people of a covenant with God who is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God. Psalm 105, there's just scores of examples of this idea throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Psalm 105 says this, He, God, remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded to a thousand generations. So for a Jew, the idea of understanding their relationship with God is bound up in this idea of covenant. In fact, I did a little research this week. The word covenant appears 319 times in the Old Testament. It's a big deal. So to the the people of Israel, this understanding of themselves as a covenant people and God as a covenant making and keeping God was so important in their understanding. It's really important for us to continue to get our minds around that as we walk through Hebrews and particularly chapter 7 and 8 and even on into chapter 9. We're talking about this idea that in Christ we have a better covenant. A better covenant than what was this called the old covenant that God formerly made with the people of Israel. Let me give you an illustration of that. Exodus 20. An illustration of the old covenant. The Bible says this. Children of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. They're in Sinai. They're headed to the promised land. God makes a covenant with them when he says, Exodus 19.5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Now remember, this is a little bit of quick review for us. It's wrapped up in that covenant was a few things with the people of Israel. There was God's law. Okay, now part of the covenant, you keep the law. There was the priesthood. There were these priests who would go before the presence of God, if you will, and offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice on behalf of the people. So there was this law, part of the covenant, keep the law. The law is good. Part of this covenant, we provided a priest. There's this earthly priesthood. Author of Hebrews has been making the case that that old covenant, as good as it was, it's got some problems. It's got some weaknesses. Not because God is weak, but because those who are called to keep the covenant are weak. For example, the law of God can't keep it. We fail. This earthly priesthood, they're sinners too. They had to make sacrifice for their own sin. And then they had this nasty habit of just dying. So they couldn't maintain their priesthood forever. So they would live, they would die. They were sinners too. It was weak. Here's the point. The writer of Hebrews wants us to understand all this nature of the old covenant that was given to Israel was always planned to be temporary. Temporary. It was a picture of something better to come. So when you come to Hebrews 8, you hear all this ongoing language. You hear it throughout Hebrews of something better. Now in these days, something better. We have a better high priest. We have therefore a better covenant. And that's the argument of the author of Hebrews throughout this letter and particularly as we come to Hebrews 8. He's writing to this Jewish community and he is declaring 
evidence upon evidence upon evidence that Jesus is the fulfillment now of all that that old covenant foreshadowed. All that was predicted is now perfectly fulfilled in our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So we come to 8, verse 1. I'm going to read down through the first six verses. We'll make some application. Then I'll take us through the end of this chapter, make a little bit more application to us as well. All right, here we go. Follow along. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The author of Hebrews says this now. The point in what we are saying is this. Don't you love that? <laughs> I mean, Hebrews has been kind of a confusing, it's, it's a challenging book. So when you come to a verse like this, the writer says, here's the point I want you to get. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now this author is just going on and on here. This is kind of a summary statement of all that he's been building to through these seven chapters. And he says this, if you miss everything else, just know we have now a greater and better high priest who stands between holy God and sinful man. He is seated at the very right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This is incredible. God-honoring, Jesus-glorifying language. This is verse 2. He is a minister in the holy places. In the true tent set up by the Lord, not man. Now again, he's comparing and contrasting. He's comparing where Jesus is currently ministering as a high priest as opposed to where those earthly high priests minister, the tabernacle or the temple built by man, not Jesus. Not where he ministers. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's what priests did. They brought gifts. They brought sacrifices. Thus... It is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. What does Jesus have to offer? The author of Hebrews goes on and on and says, Not sheep, not goats, not any kind of sacrifice. Himself is the ultimate, perfect, enduring, once for all sacrifice. Himself. Now if he were on earth... He would not be a priest at all. Speaking of Jesus, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. In other words, the priest earthly, according to the law, had to be of the tribe of Levi. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, of the order of Melchizedek, a completely different order. See, why does the Bible even make this point? Because God is very deliberate to never mix the shadow that were the earthly priests with the reality who is Jesus. He was not an earthly priest. He is a heavenly priest forever, different entirely from the earthly priest. That's the point. He goes on, verse 5, For they, earthly priests, serve a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. Speaking of this, again, this tabernacle that was built, this structure and where these priests would serve. This is, a, this is almost offensive language to a Jew who had put their hope in all this. He says, all of that, it's just a shadow. 
The idea of a shadow, remember, a shadow itself. If I put my hand up here, it casts a shadow down on this podium. That shadow has no substance of itself. It's only important because of what's behind it, the real thing. That's the point. All this is to be temporary and a shadow of the real thing that is found in Christ. That's the point. Keeps going. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, this tabernacle that later became the temple. He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown on the mountain. Hearkening back to when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he was up there for 40 days, God gave the law, God gave the instruction to build this tabernacle exactly as he was told to do because again it was depicting something great in Jesus. See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Hearkening back to this earthly priesthood, this earthly shadow. Now, author of Hebrews is going to come to verse 6 and he's going to transition. He's going to say, but now. No more shadows. No more tabernacle needed. No more earthly priesthood. Verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates. He is now the mediator. The term mediator there, if you want to circle it, simply means this, in the middle. A mediator is in the middle, one who stands between holy God, sinful man. Jesus is now the in the middle mediator of that covenant between God and man. And he says, this covenant is better infinitely better since it is enacted or put into practice on better promises stop right there now that's a lot I want to try to give you one big truth this morning that's going to guide us through these first few verses and then it's going to steer us into the rest of these verses and it's simply this. As you read through Hebrews, as you read through chapter 8 of this, of this book, here's the big truth. Jesus mediates a better covenant. There is now a superior covenant between God and his people. Who is the one who mediates it? Earthly priests who die? No. Jesus who lives forever. Earthly priests who have to bear sacrifice for their own sin? No. The sinless Son of God, who, by the way, is seated at the very right hand of God himself. Jesus mediates a better covenant. To those who were reading this letter in the first century, to us who are reading this 2,000 years later, this is to be an anchor in the ground of hope that your faith is built upon one who mediates a better covenant. You are secure in Christ. He starts a relationship with God. He sustains that relationship with God. And he is able to carry you home because he is able to mediate a better covenant. That's the point. That's the point of the author of Hebrews over and over and over again. Jesus is an infinitely better priest who is able to mediate an infinitely better covenant relationship between God and his people. Now, you do understand the reason that the author of Hebrews spends so much time holding out the priesthood of Jesus is so that there will be no doubt that he is able to mediate a superior covenant. 
See, the only way we can have any assurance of this covenant we have with God through Christ is because of the superiority of Jesus as our priest. Let me give you a quick example of why that's so important so you'll understand a little bit. Why does the author of Hebrews go over this over and over and over again? Watch. A covenant is only as strong as the one who mediates it. Let me, make it, let me try to make it even more clear. A promise that is made is only as good and secure as the one who is able to keep the promise. That make sense? Let me give you a quick earthly example. So let's say it's 4th of July weekend. Maybe some of you all are traveling. I don't know. Maybe some of you are going to be getting on an airplane going somewhere. Let's say you're cruising along 35,000 feet. Uh, the flight attendant comes on the radio and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem the pilot has passed out. We have no one to fly or to land the plane. And there's chatter and everybody starts to panic a little bit. And two people immediately stand up and raise their hand. And they promise and they say this, I promise I'm able to land the plane. One of those people is my 14-year-old daughter Maya. Now, Maya's not in the service, I don't think. Maybe she, I'm not sure which service today. Uh, I didn't really ask her permission for this, but Maya's flown in an airplane once. In fact, Mark Roby in our church took her up in a little plane and actually let her hold the yoke and, you know, kind of fly along. I was in the back seat. I was horrified. So she's got a lot of experience. And in her mind, I can handle this. I can land this plane. You going to trust that promise? Not able. Same time, another person stands up, and they have a little delta sign right here on their shirt. And you realize, wait a minute, that's a pilot who just happens to be on this plane. And he goes, I promise I'll land the plane. Watch this. The promise is only as good as the person who is able to keep the promise. I'm going with the delta pilot. I love my daughter. Her intentions are good. She's not able. The writer of Hebrews goes to great extent to hold out to you a greater priest who is able to mediate a better covenant between God and man. That's the point. And he goes through that here in these verses. He says Jesus mediates a better covenant. So two questions for you this morning out of this. First question is this. How does Jesus mediate how does he keep, how does he sustain a better covenant? Go back to verse 1 really quick. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. I want you to circle there if you write in your Bible this idea of seated the author of Hebrews says, our high priest is not standing, he is seated. That is a word picture to give you the idea of something. If I'm a Jew and I'm reading this, the idea of a seated high priest is unimaginable. It's almost offensive. Their perspective of the temple and when they would go to these sacrifices was that high priest never stopped. He made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it never ended. As soon as he made a sacrifice, he had to go make another one. Why? Because we keep on sinning. But here's a picture of our great high priest seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because the work of sacrifice for sins 
of the earthly priest never stopped. But here in scripture it is shown that the work of our great high priest Jesus in paying the price for our atonement is completely finished. He has sat down at the right hand of God. Everything necessary for us to be made right is finished in Christ. That's the picture. That's throughout Hebrews. Hebrews 1, if you go back to that, God who has spoken in many ways has now spoken in his son. He says of Jesus, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 7.27 says, He, Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once. That's shouting ground, by the way. Once for all when he offered up himself. How does Jesus mediate a better covenant? I'm going to give you a few big ideas. Here's your first one. Jesus mediates a better covenant because the work is completed through the sacrifice of himself. He has sat down. And that's the word picture that is intended to grip your hearts and to grip the hearts of these Jews who are reading this, who are not sure, should I let go of this old covenant, this picture? Should I come to the reality? Well, it's the picture between a sacrifice that never stops because it's never complete or a sacrifice that's now fully complete in Jesus because he's able, he's worthy to mediate a better covenant built upon the blood of himself. It's the point. He mediates a better covenant. Keep reading verse 1. Now the point is this. We have such a high priest who is seated. Where is he seated? At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now again, if you're a Jew and you're reading this, there is no doubt what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Jesus is mediating. He is serving not in a temple on earth, not in a tabernacle made with human hands. He is seated in the very presence of God Almighty himself. Seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And sometimes we have trouble with that. And we say, does God sit on a throne? Is there furniture in heaven? What does all that mean? It's all a word picture to show the glory of our God who is reigning. And at his right hand is our high priest who is interceding, mediating, praying on our behalf. Not at some temple on earth, but the very presence of God himself. That is a glorious reality. What is he doing there? And we talked about this last week. Verse 2 says, He is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up. Verse 2. Talked about it last week and go back and listen to it. What's he doing there? In one sense, the work necessary for atonement, the sacrifice of himself, done, seated. At the same time, you come to verse 2 and it says, he ministers. He is a minister. He's doing something. And we've talked about this multiple times just as a review. That means that we're never without his help. He is a high priest who is constantly giving help to his people. We are secure in Christ because he's constantly interceding on our behalf. We have a righteous advocate constantly, and we have a confidence in his return that he is seated there, but one day he will step away and return and make all things new. 
So the point is that Jesus is the mediator of this better covenant because the work of atonement is sacrifice, done. He's seated. And at the same time, the work of intercession and the work of advocacy and the work of providing help never stops. That's your high priest. That's my high priest. And yes, over and over and over, the author of Hebrews is going to great lengths to hold out the glory of our high priest because the one who mediates a covenant, that covenant is only as good, watch this, as the one who's able to keep the promise. That's him. It's our great high priest. How does Jesus mediate a better covenant? We said it. He mediates because his work is completed, the sacrifice of himself. Secondly, he mediates a better covenant because he continually ministers in the very presence of God. Incredible. Your high priest continually interceding on your behalf in the very presence of God Almighty. Draw near. Draw near to him. The author of Hebrews continues, he comes to verse 6 and he says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent or better than the old. This is the constant contrast that's going on in Hebrews. He made, the covenant he mediates is better. Now I want you to catch this phrase at the end of verse 6. Since it is enacted on better promises. The author of Hebrews is going to continue and he's going to say, okay, I've, been, I've talked about our great high priest. Now I want to talk about the promises of this covenant. He's able to keep these promises because of who he is. But what are those promises? What, are, what is this new covenant that you keep talking about? And he gives some definition to it. Verse 7, I want to read down through the end of the chapter. This is where it's kind of spelled out, pulling from the Old Testament, this idea of new covenant. So look with me quickly, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. It's kind of logic to say, look, if, if the first covenant had had... If it had been perfect, there would not have been the language throughout the Old Testament of a new covenant. He's going to argue that even the prophets in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, spoke of a new covenant. Why? Because they knew the old was just temporary. Something better is coming. Verse 8. For he, God, finds fault with them when he says, Behold, days are coming. Future. That's messianic language, by the way. Declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He says, this is God saying this. Not like the covenant with, I made, with them that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's that covenant we read about, Exodus 20, the covenant on Sinai. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the old one. For they did not continue in my covenant. They were not able to do so. And I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant, God speaking, that I will make. Future new covenant. With the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. And here are the glorious promises of this new covenant. We're going to go over a few of these really quickly. This is a covenant God promises to make. 
This is the covenant God had always promised to make. He says, verse 10, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, no hierarchy. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Verse 13, and speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. He's saying the first one's unnecessary. The shadow is gone. The fulfillment is here. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. And what I want to do in just the last few minutes I have remaining here is we ask, okay, how does Jesus mediate a better covenant? He's seated. His work is finished. He mediates because he, the work of intercession never stops. But what are these promises that God has given of this new covenant? Let me give you a few of them as we see here in verses 10 through the end of the chapter. First one's in verse 10. He says this. This covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Remember the weakness and the fault of the old covenant was it was an external law code. Here's the commandments written on stone externally. Now you keep them to reveal our inadequacy and inability to keep them. The fault was not with God or God's promises. The fault has always been the desperately wicked nature of us. So this external old covenant was unable of any kind of transformation. He says here this new covenant is qualitatively different from the old. One of the ways we see in verse 10, God declares, I will graciously put my law into their minds and write them on their very hearts. Here's a description of the new covenant. Big idea, the first one we're going to look at is this. The new covenant is better Because it transforms from within. The new covenant is better because it transforms from within. That's the nature of it. In Christ, by His Spirit, by resurrection life, there is life given. This is the difference, beloved. And I want you to hear this. Between some dead external religion based on your ability to keep the law, to do all the right things, versus no, God transforms us from within. That's the message of the gospel, and that's the promise of the new covenant now made possible in Jesus Christ. Beloved, is your faith an internal one that has changed you from the inside out by the power of Jesus, or are you still trying to live to a dead law code that's external? That's the difference between life and death. And God says, that's my promise that this new covenant It is a within reality. This has always been the promise of God. He said this in different ways throughout the Old Testament. We don't have time to look at him. We see it in Jeremiah. He's quoting Jeremiah. Ezekiel said the same thing. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. This is not on the screen. You can just listen to this. Ezekiel 36, 22 says, Thus says the Lord God, 
it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from you, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, internal versus external. New covenant in Christ, by faith, transforms inside out. God promised that. Secondly, what are the better promises of the new covenant? Continue to read verse 10. says the end of verse 10. He says, I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. One of the realities here that's a beautiful thing for us is that, yes, throughout redemptive history, God has saved individuals. His plan is to redeem individuals, yes, but much bigger is his plan to redeem a people. A people for his own possession. A people chosen and set apart. And he says that here through this new covenant. There will be this people. I will be their God. They shall be my people. A faithful people who would delight in him, love him, with all their hearts and all their souls and all their minds. Big idea. The next one is this. The new covenant is better. Because the outcome is a faithful community of followers. God redeems a people. In the New Testament, Peter helps us with this. We spent a whole year walking through Peter last year. But one of the ideas of Peter is he takes this understanding and the understanding of what the gospel now accomplishes. He says this, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you, speaking to Gentiles here, are now chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saves a people. The new covenant builds a faithful people. He is their God. We are his people. Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. The new covenant is characterized by an intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus. They shall all know me. That's intimate language. It's the language of fellowship, of abiding. And then finally, verse 12, he says, all of this is possible. Verse 12, a little word for there that begins the verse, for... I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. He says the new covenant is better because the sin debt is paid forever. Your debt is paid in Christ. No more sacrifice needed. It is done. The chasm between God and man is now filled by the person of our great high priest, Jesus, who mediates a better covenant hallelujah what a savior now we're going to move into a time of response in a song and in fact i'm going to go ahead and invite the team on up just to begin to play but i want to ask one final question we'll end with this how is this new covenant possible and we know the answer to that because we've been walking through hebrews and we say yeah we know it's through jesus but what did jesus himself say about that there's incredible glory that we have a great high priest who continually mediates this covenant. It is better because it transforms from within. 
It's a better covenant because it builds a faithful community. It's a better covenant because there's forgiveness forever. But how is that possible? I'll end with this. The night before Jesus is crucified, he gathers his disciples there in that upper room. And he performs something that we're all very familiar with called, we call it the Lord's Supper. And you all know the picture. He takes the bread, says, this is a picture of my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is a picture of my blood. I just want to read this in the context and we'll pray. Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20 says this. And he took the bread when he had given thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, and after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup. This is the symbol of my blood that I'm going to spill tomorrow. He's saying to them, this is the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus mediates a better covenant transforms from within it builds an abiding relationship with our God builds a faithful community of people and it pays our sin debt forever and ever and ever you pray with me Lord thank you for this truth Lord help us to Lord help us to even mentally run after these truths as an act of worship because there's so much here We praise you now, Jesus, as the mediator of this new life-giving covenant in your blood. It's in your name we pray.